Morning, church. Good to be here with you today. Um, how do we find meaning for today from this book that was written 2,000 plus years ago? In 2008, an author named A.J. Jacobs published a book called The Year of Living Biblically. And in it, he tells of an experiment he did. And so uh, Jacobs was curious about spiritual things. He was kind of a lifelong agnostic. He says in the book, he grew up Jewish, but he says his family were Jewish kind of in the same way that Olive Garden is Italian. (laughs) So not very. (laughs) It's not super authentic. Um, Those breadsticks, though. But, but so he grew up an agnostic, and he became um, curious about spiritual things. So he says, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to spend a year of my life taking the Bible and trying to live it out as literally as possible in my everyday life. So he starts the year, and he sits down day after day for hours a day, and he reads, pours over the scriptures, and anytime he comes up to a rule or a commandment, he types it into his laptop and he winds up with a big Word document with just hundreds and hundreds of rules that he then tries to follow in his life. And so he follows some of the well-known ones, the ones that we all, uh, you know, relate to and identify with, you know, the Ten Commandments. He follows the command to to love his neighbor and, and that kind of stuff. But then he follows all the obscure and less known Commands. So there's a command in the Bible to blow a ram's horn at the beginning of every month. So he buys a ram's horn and like looks online and finds out how to blow it like a trumpet. And uh, th- there's a command in the Bible that, um, that certain insects should not be eaten, but crickets are okay. So he eats crickets at one point, which is gross. And I read the book. It's actually, it's, it's a really good book. It's much more respectful than I thought it would be. Uh, it, it's... It ends up with him uh, not becoming a, a believer, but he, he ends up a, a changed man at the end of it. And there are some, uh, there are some meaningful moments. He develops a, a prayer habit and a thankfulness habit, and that changes him. And then there are, some, there are plenty of goofy moments. You can see in the picture, he grows a long beard. He's wearing this kind of shepherd outfit. Uh, there's a command in the Bible to stone adulterers. And so he tries to think, how can I live this out in my life? And you know, obviously he can't literally like stone someone to death. He winds up getting into a pebble fight with an angry old man in Central Park. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. But, but there's a serious question that rises up, right? And the question is, how do we find meaning for today out of this this 2,000-plus-year-old book, and his solution was, well, just copy and paste, right? Just, just whatever it says in here, just take it and do it. And, and it winds up being helpful sometimes, and sometimes it winds up being weird uh, or unhelpful, and it doesn't really fit his life. It doesn't really do anyone any good at, at some points. And so what that's pointing to is the need for us to interpret the Bible, the need for us to say, okay, well then how do we process this for today? And that process is called interpretation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk through uh, the basics of interpretation. Now I know that that sounds very sort of, you know, 
ivory tower, you know, scholarly. And, and we're under no illusions that any of us here are going to become biblical scholars or theologians or anything like that. If, if you do, great. But uh, most of us, that's not going to be the case for us. But, but what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to get you, um, we're trying to help you develop a habit of encountering God through the scriptures, Okay, encountering God in the written word. And if you talk to Christians and say, hey, do you read the Bible? Do you engage with the Bible? Again and again, uh, what Christians will say to you is, you know, I, I, I try to read the Bible sometimes, but a lot of times I don't because I don't get anything out of it. Right? Have you heard people express thoughts like, I don't get anything. There's nothing. It's irrelevant. It doesn't seem to mean anything for my life today. But the reality is that there, there is um, amazing stuff in here. You just don't have the tools to get it out. Okay, it's like, to go back to Caleb's food imagery from last week, it's like if, if it's like you have this big Thanksgiving dinner uh, before you, it's there, you just don't have a knife and fork. And so, and so when we say basics of interpretation, what we're trying to do is give you the knife and fork. We're gonna try and uh, give you tools to engage and understand the Bible, not so that you can uh, become a theologian, but so that uh, you, you can benefit in your everyday Christian life from the Bible. And so that's where we're going to go today. A couple of reminders as we continue our text message series. You can always get in a care group if you want to dig deeper. Um, you can go to the Welcome Center or the website. We have a phone number that you can uh, text your questions into. We're going to get to a question uh, that we received today. Uh, and I'll also just remind you of Team 412, um, which is something else that we have going on. Um, so that launched October 1st. Team 412 is, is our discipleship and equipping uh, group. Basically, it winds up being kind of a solo Bible study, and so you get some curriculum emailed to you every week. You go through that. It takes about 15 to 30 minutes a week. And then you have a coach, a mentor, who tracks along with you. And so if, if you're thinking, I, I want to dig deeper into some of this stuff, I want to be deliberate about my Christian learning, I uh, encourage you to sign up for that at the Welcome Center as well. So today, as I said, we're going to go through the basics of interpretation. And I thought, how do we make this practical rather than theoretical? Um, and I thought what we could do is we could practice together uh, in interpreting a verse. And so we're going to interpret one verse. And I chose the most misinterpreted verse in the Bible. It goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is the number two verse on, the, uh, on BibleGateway.com, they have a list of their most searched verses. This is number two after John 3.16. Uh, it's a very popular verse. Many of us have probably heard it. Many of us probably have a piece of merchandise with this verse on it. Um, and it's sort of a verse that we use when you come to, a, you know, an important juncture in your life. And we, it's, it's almost like a, it's a Christian, we use it almost like a Christian version of Dr. Seuss's, oh, the places you'll go. You know, it's like, okay, you're entering, you know, oh, you graduated, or you're being baptized. As you, as you set out into this next phase of your life, God has a great plan for you. He's going to be with you, Jeremiah 29, 11. 
We're going to dig deeper into that verse today. Okay? So, so I'm excited at least. I think it'll be helpful for you. So there are two steps to interpretation. Here are some big scary words. Um, They are, step one is exegesis, and step two is going to be hermeneutics. So we'll talk about step one, which is exegesis. I was at a um, gathering of MB pastors last, this year, and uh, one of our MB pastors, Ron Van Acker, who is a funny Dutch guy, uh, said, he said, in seminary, he was very confused because he had a class called Biblical Extra Jesus. <laughs> exegesis. So exegesis and hermeneutics, those are big, scary words. You don't need to learn those words. Just learn the concepts. So the concepts are exegesis is understanding the then and there, and then hermeneutics is going to be understanding the here and now. Okay, then and there, here and now. So the first step is going to be exegesis. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the Bible is, not, is written for you, but not to you or about you. Look at that, you guys. So if we say the Bible is not written to us, uh, that what we said a couple weeks ago was we can't just take this and say, okay, what does this mean to me? First, we have to say, what did this mean to them? And then that's going to shape what it means to us. And so figuring out what it meant to them is exegesis. You actually probably do exegesis already. If you ever say something like, uh, what Jesus meant by this was, or um, back then they used to, whatever, that's exegesis. You're unpacking the original meaning of the text. So there are two big areas of exegesis, context and content. So we'll walk through the, those um, briefly. We did, we did mention them earlier in the series as well. So let's talk about context. Context is what's going on around the text. And we start with historical context. So what's going on in the time and place of the text's writing? And so there are a number of different things. So time. When was the text written? What were the key events in world history at that time? Uh, culture, what was, what was the worldview and background of the authors and readers? Geography, where was it written, and how does that affect how we read the text? You know, if you read the Bible, often it'll talk about mountains, uh, and, and you may read that and think, oh, like, Mount, you might think Mount Baker, right? Uh, it was written in the Middle East, and so it's not, it's not our beautiful snow-capped mountains that we have here, right? The Bible, when it says mountains, it's more like these low, ugly brown hills, uh, so geography, and then occasion and purpose are kind of uh, linked together. Occasion is what prompted the author to write this, and purpose is what was he trying to accomplish by writing this. And, there, and so there are two ways to figure out the historical context. You can either kind of do it yourself um, through a careful reading of the text, or you can consult resources and and depending on the the verse and the text, you may have to do a combination of both. If you are consulting resources, I'll just recommend a few to you. Um, I think we have a slide for this. Um, Yeah. So you you can always get a study Bible. That's going to be the easiest. Caleb said last week, you don't need a study Bible, and you don't. um, But with things like historical context, it will be helpful. If you want to go a little bit deeper, you can get your hands on a Bible dictionary, 
Um, there are plenty of those available and published. So you're reading Philippians. You can look up Philippi in the dictionary and learn about that city. And then I'll just point you to biblia.com. I use a very fancy and expensive Bible study software called Logos. Um, and it, they have a free version at biblia.com uh, where you can get access to about 70 published good resources for basic Bible study. Um, and so I'd, I would point you, point you there if you're looking to dig into some historical context. So, um, like I said, you can, you can figure this stuff out yourself through a careful reading of the text, or you can look at different resources for, for um, time, culture, and geography. You're probably going to have to look at a resource simply because those things went without being said for the initial author and, and readers, and so they didn't say it. It's not in the biblical text a lot of the time. Uh, for occasion and purpose, you can probably, you can discern it if you just read through the text carefully, but again, if you want some help, you can look at resources like these. So that's historical context. And then we have literary context. And literary context is just what's going on in the surrounding text. So, you, so we don't just take, um, you take one sentence or one phrase and and hang all our hopes and dreams on that, we look at what's going on in the paragraph and the chapter and the book. It's like uh, people will sometimes say, uh, just randomly in conversation, people will say to be or not to be, and it's not very meaningful, right? It's like whatever, it's just something people say. But if you take that and you put it into its context, it's from Shakespeare's play Hamlet, you put it in Hamlet's monologue where he's, um, he's dealing with the destruction of his family and with his own will to live and wrestling through that inside, and then it's all to be or not to be, and suddenly it means a lot more than if you just take it out. And the same is true for Bible verses. And so when, and so when we read a Bible verse, we, we need to read what's going on, uh, going on around it. Um, and here again, if you do use other resources, sometimes they'll give you an outline of the, po- the major points just to give you an orientation um, to kind of what the train of thought is for that chapter and that book where your verse is. So historical context and literary context. Let's, so let's practice this. So let's look at Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Uh, if you, the first step is just to read if you're looking at one verse, the first step is just to read around that verse. And so if you read just that chapter, you can learn a lot. And so the first verse of the chapter looks like this. It says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so when you talk about historical context, that verse gives us a ton of historical context. You may remember from a couple weeks ago, uh, we, we went through the, the major plot line of the Old Testament. Uh, if, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago and you were coming to this fresh, you could easily look in your Bible notes. You could even Google uh, exile Babylon Jeremiah and, and figure this out. And so what happens is in 586 BC, Jerusalem fell. It was conquered by uh, by. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and he took all the Jews from, uh, of, with any status from Jerusalem and deported them into exile 
in Babylon. And so just by reading the beginning of this chapter, we learn, okay, Jeremiah is writing in that time to those people. He's in Jerusalem. The people have been taken off into exile, and he is writing a letter to them. And our verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is going to be part of that letter. So that's kind of the historical context. And then if we... Um, and then as for literary context, we need to read the surrounding verses. And so the letter doesn't start with verse 11. It starts at verse, verse 4, I believe. And so let me, and so we'll, uh, we'll go through that quickly. So this is Jeremiah's letter that leads up to Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food, the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so you may have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your, prof your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you. So that's, that's the first part of Jeremiah's letter, and it unpacks a whole bunch of important points. So it, the key points there are God is speaking to Judah in exile. Uh, some of their prophets, it says, have, uh, and you need to fill this in with a couple other spots in Jeremiah, but some of their prophets have prophesied this exile is going to be quick. Okay, don't worry about it. We're going back to Jerusalem right away. And God says, in, in that passage we just read, no, those are false prophets. I haven't sent them. Uh, they're lying. And then he says, it's going to be 70 years, and then I'll deliver you. In the meantime, work for the welfare of the city. So make a life. He says, plant gardens, build houses, get married, have children, because you're going to be here a while. That's the literary context leading up to uh, Jeremiah 29. 11. So we get context, and then the second part of exegesis is content. And content is simply the basic meaning of the words and sentences. It's just reading comprehension. Um, and so sometimes the text is, is straightforward, and you can get the meaning the first time. Sometimes it's a little bit tough, and you might have to read it over a couple times. Um, when I come to a sticky text, I actually, if I'm having trouble, I'll actually write out um, questions, like specific questions about what I don't understand, and then I try to work through those questions, possibly using other books. Um, and so sometimes I'll do that in my devotions. It doesn't take too much extra time. Um, and you can even, if you have those questions, you can even bring them to other Christians as well. Um, so let's just work through the content of Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know, the I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So the, the person who's talking is God. That's clear. It says, says the Lord. 
It says he has plans for them, plans for a good future. And if you look at the surrounding verses, uh, it's, it's clear what those plans are. 70 years of exile, and then you get to go home. That's the plan. And then the people who are receiving it are Judah. Uh, God's speaking to Judah in exile. That, of course, is where we get this verse wrong sometimes because we see the word you and we think, oh, me. But it's not written to you, right? It's written to Judah. And so this verse is for them. So we can sum up then, then. we can sum up our exegesis of Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, so the context is the people are in exile in, in Babylon. Jeremiah is writing to them. They're wondering, are we going to get home fast? And, and he writes to them and says, God's telling you, it's going to be 70 years. Settle in. Work for the welfare of the city. And then I'll deliver you. And so that's the context. And the content is, uh, I know, uh, I, God, have plans for you, Judah. And the plan is, return you home after 70 years. Okay? So that's basic exegesis. And then we get to hermeneutics, which is understanding the here and now. We actually got a question about this via text message. So remember a couple weeks ago, um, we talked about my, my friend Freddie, who read the story of Jephthah's sacrifice, and he said, oh, Jephthah made a sacrifice. I, God must be calling me to make a sacrifice, so he broke up with his girlfriend. Uh, so after that Sunday, we got this text message. Um, so someone asks, are you saying that we should not expect Old Testament scripture to speak to us in a way that would help us make decisions? Perhaps any time you feel God is speaking to you through scripture, you should talk to another Christian for help discerning before you act. Good idea. But the Old Testament still has application for our lives today. And so what this person, that, that's a great question. This person is wrestling with hermeneutics. He's wrestling with how, do, how does this ancient document speak here and now? So does the, Bible, um, does the Bible help us make decisions today? Absolutely, but not in the way that some people use it. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about how some people treat the Bible like a fortune cookie, um, where they just take it and they try and make it fit their lives. Or they'll, they'll uh, maybe another example would be like a magic eight ball, right? Shake it up and see what it says. And, and you ask it a very specific question about a specific situation you have. The vast majority of times, the Bible will not weigh in on your very specific question. Should I take this job or this job? Should I buy this house? Should I... Uh, should I enter the workforce or go to grad school? Should I marry this person? Your very specific uh, question, the Bible will not directly answer it the vast majority of times. But the Bible is going to teach you about what it means to follow God and what God's will is and, and who God is and what his desires are for the world. And in that sense, w- those things that you learn uh, will shape your decisions. So that's the way that the Bible influences our decisions. Um, and so, and so um, maybe this will become more clear as we work on Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, 
So again, it's important that we don't start, this is step two, it's important we don't start with here and now, we have to do the then and there work. Because sometimes people make the Bible, uh, people can make the Bible mean whatever they want, and the reason why they can do that is because they start with here and now without doing the then and there. If you take the time to do the then and there, the then and there, uh, that's going to focus you. It's going to c- constrain your interpretation to a more correct interpretation for here and now because it can't mean here and now what it didn't mean there and then. So let's, let's just talk about Jeremiah 29, 11. Again, you've probably encountered this verse and, and we, tend to, uh, we tend to use it as a verse to say, hey, wh- whatever is about to happen in, in this next phase of your life, whether you're going into something exciting or going into something challenging, God will be with you and he's going to take care of you through this and, and it's a bright future in whatever this next phase of your life is. That's how we tend to use this verse. Uh, you know, and, and the question is, is that the right way to use this verse? Well, I said a moment ago that, that a text cannot mean, to, mean here and now what it couldn't have meant then and there. So let's think about this. First of all, this text, again, is not addressed to me. It's addressed to Judah. It's not even addressed to an individual. It's, in, it's uh, addressed to a nation. For many individual Jews who would have heard this, um, they, they don't get to see this promise fulfilled. Okay, uh, many of them are going to uh, wind up murdered or enslaved. Those who manage to survive will be taken into exile, and, they'll, and many of them will die in exile, uh, never seeing the payoff of this promise. Their children and grandchildren will see it, but only after 70 long years. And so it's, it's this... It's this it's this long and hard journey toward the fulfillment of this, uh, of this promise. And so I would argue that this, ca- this text can't mean today, uh, this thing you're about to do, God's going to make it awesome. This next phase of your life is going to be awesome because it didn't mean that then. It was addressed to a nation, not a person, and it's talking about a long view, not a short-term view. Now understand, understand, God, it is true that God loves us and will take care of us. That is true. Uh, we just don't get there from this text. We just don't get here from this text. So if you, if you read something like Matthew chapter 6, Verse 26, Jesus says this to, and and he's applying this to all of his followers. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And so Jesus is saying, absolutely, God loves us and will take care of us. And that's true of us. Uh, That's that's true for us. It's just not true from Jeremiah 29, 11. It's like if... um, it's like if I sent Justine a text and said, uh, I, you know, I love you. And uh, someone's getting a text right now. So I'm gonna. 
And say my mom read that over her shoulder. And she said, oh, he loves me. Well, that's true. I do love my mom, but she, she can't know that I love her from the text I sent Justine. She needs to look on her own phone and see what I texted her. Does, you know what I mean? And so, it's, and so to say Jeremiah 29, 11 is saying God loves us and will take care of us is like, it's like reading, reading uh, a message out of it that was not intended. It's a true message, but it wasn't intended from that text. You can and should believe that God cares for you. Just don't quote Jeremiah 29, 11 uh, to justify it. Quote something like Matthew 6, 26. So, if you'd all take your Bibles and tear out Jeremiah 29, <laughs> don't, do not do that. And if you have, if you have any mugs at home, smash the mugs. If you have any wall art, take it off your wall. No, th- this, so, but the question is, okay, if this verse doesn't mean that, does it mean anything for us? Is it a helpful verse for us? And here's the thing. I would argue that if you dig deeper into the interpretation uh, of this verse, and, and really you have to look at the whole passage, not just one verse, but if you dig deeper into Jeremiah's letter, you wind up with a bigger and better uh, message, a bigger and better takeaway for your Christian life than simply uh, God's going to make this next part of your life awesome. You wind up with something bigger and better. I'll show you what I mean. So if you read Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in Babylon, there are, there are some, some key takeaways for them. He says, you guys are going to be uh, you, got, you guys are going to be gone for a while. It's going to be 70 years. Um, and after 70 years, but only after 70 years, God's going to deliver you and you get to return home. But then, if you, if you go through that part of the letter that we read earlier, he, he tells them how to live in the meantime. He tells them how to live in the midst of exile. And he kind of gives them this balance. And so he says, balance between two things. Balance between looking, looking forward to the deliverance that's been promised, looking forward to hope, looking forward to, uh, to the plan that God has for you. Balance between that and also, verse 7, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare. So balance between looking forward to deliverance, but also finding a way in the here and now to set up your life and be a blessing in the midst of the godless people around you. Okay? That's the big takeaway for the original readers. Balance your life between those two things. That's how you live as the people of God in exile. That's how you live as the people of God among a, a nation that does not acknowledge God. Now, I, I said, so we learned, the Bible is, not, is uh, written for you. It's not written to you or about you. In this case, it is about us. 
And it's about us not because that's a convenient interpretation. It's about us because the New Testament says this is also about us. And so several times in the New Testament, God's people are described as living in a state of exile. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we preached through uh, 1 Peter last fall. He starts out the letter, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles. Or you could go to Philippians 3, verse 20, which says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. See, what the New Testament does is it takes this exile language and it says the church is living in a state of exile because like Judah and Babylon, we're the people of God living in a nation that does not acknowledge God. And I think we would agree that that's true of us today. That, that, we're, that here we are and, and we're in this place where where the powers, um, the, the authorities of, of our nation and our society, the values of the people around us, the, you know, the things that they teach in the schools, the stories that they tell on TV, the things that we celebrate are often contrary to what we believe as the people of God. And, and we're, Jesus has promised, he said, I've, I've gone to prepare a place for you, right? He says, we await eagerly for him to return so we're looking ahead to this promise just like the people in, just like the Jews in Babylon. But how do we live now in 2017 in Canada as these exiled people, as the people of God in a nation that doesn't acknowledge God? Jeremiah 29 tells us. And so they were exiles and had to live this way, and, and the New Testament says we're exiles. How do you live as exiles? Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29 tells us we live with this balance between looking forward to the future that God has promised us and hanging on to that hope. But in the meantime, we plant gardens, we build houses, we get married and, and have kids and, and we, we seek, the, we work for the welfare of the city. We pray for the welfare of the city. We find a way as God's people to be a blessing in the midst of a culture that, that does not acknowledge God. We find a way to be a witness in the midst of a culture that does, that does not acknowledge God. Isn't that bigger and better than how we normally use this verse? It's this big picture of how for all of us as the church, we're, we're, we're like a nation, we're God's people, and we have this example of how we can live. You know, we, we're going to walk out those doors in, in a few minutes. How we can live today in the midst of this society being a presence of God's people among people that don't acknowledge God. Isn't that bigger or better, bigger and better than how we normally use 
Jeremiah 29, 11. So that's what I want us to leave here with. That, that interpreting well isn't just something that fancy theologians do, but when we honor the text by interpreting it well, we wind up with a deeper encounter with God. We wind up with a more transformative uh, uh, takeaway from Scripture for our lives today. We wind up with something, something for the here and now. When we, talk, when we figure out the there and then, and then move to the here and now and do that well and deliberately, we wind up with something, uh, something more helpful for the here and now as we seek to find meaning today in this ancient document. And so my prayer for us this week is that, is that as we go into our, our times in the Scripture, and I, and I hope you're spending time in the Scripture, that we'll, that we'll not just pluck out verses that sound nice, but that we'll start to do the work of digging deeper into it, of, of picking up the fork and knife and, and digging in, and using these tools to see what God's word really has to say for, for us. Worship team, prayer team, you guys can make your way up. Uh, would you pray with me, please? God, we, we continue to praise you for the gift of the scriptures. We thank you that, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Um, and we thank you that as we dig deeper and deeper into it, um, we, can, uh, we can have richer and richer encounters with you. And, and I pray that as we go from here, um, that, that you would give us the ability and the strength and the um, perseverance to, to read deeply, to interpret well as we're spending time in your word. God, I, th- I thank you that you have given us um, you've given us instruction on how to live as your people amidst a nation that does not, uh, does not acknowledge you. And I pray that as we go out and seek to engage the city, that we would work for the welfare of Langley and of Canada. Um, I pray that we would be, like, like you called the Jews to be, that we would be um, a blessing and a godly presence in the various circles where you put us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Please stand.